Welcome to TSOB with Dr. G, a podcast featuring intellectual table talk about race and sexuality. I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sexuality educator, writer, and researcher. Join me as I talk with the most brilliant minds in human sexuality, applying a professional Black lens to discussions about sexiness, health, and healing in the new millennium. It's TSOB, the sex ed of Black folk. Let's get to the get down, shall we? I am super excited for the guest that I have today on TSOB. Like I said in the first episode, I am really using this as an opportunity to introduce you all to people that I think are really heavy hitters in this field and just people I just think are amazing and dope. And fortunately, they also happen to be my friends. So I'm very excited to introduce you to the second of many of my friends that you will meet this season, Melissa Carnegie. Melissa uses she and they pronouns. Uh, They are a Black and Latinx, Austin, Texas-based sexuality educator. So shout out to Texas and a licensed social worker who believes that all children deserve holistic, comprehensive, and shame-free sexuality education so that they can live informed, empowered, and safe lives. Um, They are the founder of Sex Positive Families, which is a website and resource that definitely they'll have time to get into and talk about today, Um, but you will hear it discussed I'm sure throughout this season and many more episodes of the resource that Sex Positive Families provides, um, it's amazing. And so I'm not gonna give you any spoilers, just know that it is a dope resource. Um, Melissa's professional experience spans just shy of 15 years in the field of sexual health. They've taught schools, author curricula, they've trained with youth serving professionals, worked in HIV AIDS case management and prevention at both the nonprofit and state government levels. And also, Melissa is a sex positive parent. So that is super dope to three young people, a parent to three young people ages 21, 11, and seven. And they are the constant inspiration for Melissa's work. So without further ado, thank you for being here, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's an incredible honor. And I just have so valued getting to meet you and connect with you over these years and um, a a super fan of your work (laughs) and every footprint that you leave in this field is just incredible. So thank Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much for saying that. I am just excited to be able to hold this space for educators who do this work. Thank you so much for being here. Um, So let's get right into it. I do have an opening question that I ask everybody and that's just basically where you're from, where your people are from, and what's got you thinking about sex and sex ed these days? Hmm. Yeah, so I am, I live in Austin, Texas, born in Chicago, and my heart is in Chicago, is how I always feel it and frame it, and I grew up in Austin as far as schooling and our family, where we lived, and that's, that's definitely been an integral part of my identity. And I think I get even more aware of that as I get older and as time passes on and definitely being a parent, you, uh, it forces a mirror, you know, in front of you a lot in terms of how you are showing up in the world, what your personal journey has been like in, in life and in, within your own identities. And so definitely being someone who originated in Chicago and that's where 
like my black and brown roots and my attachment to my identity lived and flourished and love my understanding of love very much is rooted within my family and my connections there and the communities there and then I was raised in Texas and so moving to first Houston when I was younger and then Austin so that's where things got real whitewashed <laughs> and mm-hmm. and kind of remained in that regard and being a child in that experience, I wasn't aware and, and I wasn't brought up with parents who were very like socially conscious in that regard, you know? So it hasn't been until my adult years and my own unpacking and my own raising children of multiple identities that it's forced me to have to take a look at what's my connection to and, and where my identities and what does that mean in how I navigate this world? And then with the gifts and talents that I have, you know, what can I do then with that? And so it's been a journey there. And, and then, yeah, landing within sex ed, <laughs> you know, career-wise, I mean, I've always been fascinated by things that related to sex and bodies and, and then definitely growing up in the late 80s and the 90s, you know, when HIV and um, so, and, and there was a lot of like reality stuff. There was just a lot of things that like, um, as I look back, I had a fascination that leaned towards things that related to stuff that we get to talk about in, in the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And so it really is no surprise that I came into, you know, sex ed. Started out in social work as far as my education, but then my internship was at an AIDS service organization and I just remained hooked, you know, working in this field around sexual health. Then it was three and a half years ago now that I transitioned into sex ed specifically. And that has, it's just been an amazing, very aligned, like this is what I know I'm supposed to do on this earth and getting a chance to speak to and with parents because the other big piece of my identity is being a parent. And I've been a parent since I was 17, becoming pregnant at a young age. I do believe that that would have happened differently if I had had mentorship and knowledge and information and ultimately becoming a parent. And certainly my firstborn is is a girl and in this world is a woman now. I wanted her to have information that I didn't have. I wanted her to know her body. I wanted her to be able to trust her body. I wanted her to be able to feel confident and liberated in her body. And so I've had the great pleasure of getting to do things differently uh, with my children. So being a a parent, raising kids in a sex positive way very much has informed my work. And then when I pivoted to entrepreneurship and into sex ed, I knew that I wanted to just play a role in helping to fill this gap that exists for parents and that ultimately impacts youth. You know, when parents don't feel confident, when they don't feel educated or informed or supported in these topics are related to bodies and sex and sexuality, then it's much harder and more intimidating to have these conversations and to create healthier possibilities for their young people. So the work that I get to do helps to bridge that gap, helps to 
inform and empower both the adults in the equation. So they're not feeling left out of what their young people might be learning and they can see themselves as powerful influencers on these topics. And then the young people feeling supported and feeling like they have a home base where they can, they can learn. And because I do believe that sex ed starts at home. So that's, mm -hmm. I feel very honored to get to work with both youth and parents and help bridge that gap. Yeah. Woo. Okay. So you basically just provided an outline of everything that we're going to talk about for the rest of our conversation. Because <laughs> like you said, we, we like to talk. So you yeah. know what? You can't be, I, I, and I say you can't be in this field and not like to talk and not be comfortable with talking. So shout out. Um, I want to rewind though and get back to First off, I did not know that you were originally from Chicago. So that is exciting to me as a fellow Midwesterner. I'm like looking down from Milwaukee, like, hey, girl, hey. you know, waiting. Um, <laughs> now I'm curious because you talk about going from Chicago and moving to Houston and kind of having this difference in cultural experience. And so I'm curious about if you've thought at all, I know you said it's kind of new for you in terms of thinking about your identity, about how that shift may have been different for you in terms of your experience of sexuality or experience of relationships or, or just any of those pieces that you noticed in the difference between Chicago and mm -hmm. Houston? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say for sure, like, so my family is from South Chicago. And so literally anytime I go home, I don't see white people. <laughs> like, there are white people like hanging out and around or living in the areas where my family lives. Mm -hmm. So every summer, you know, we would spend the whole like three months. I mean, my sister and I would be flown on a plane by ourselves, you know, to go out there and our grandparents would take care of us, you know, though for those like two and a half, three months, whatever that was. And so it was like completely different. You know, I was in, my parents were doing like suburban Houston, mm -hmm. suburban Austin, where I was the only black or brown person in my classes. And then I was, you know, like an honor student. So that even, that made it even worse, you know, in that regard, like um, that, and I, and I was identified as that as I went into third grade and I starkly have that memory of being third grade, being in a class where my teacher was black and, and, my, and I had classmates that were black and brown. And then all of a sudden I was changed out. And I didn't realize until a couple of years later as I was being transitioned out to honors, to an honors class. And then it was kind of cohorted with these mm -hmm. other kids that were all white for those years of my elementary after that. Mm -hmm. And so um, I wouldn't have had that. I would not have had a very white experience and like my neighbors, you know, growing up in, in suburban Texas neighborhoods, you know, um, it's just fascinating. So I think that certainly the media I was being exposed to and of that time, you know, period, mm -hmm. I definitely had a lot of white influences. And so when it came to me and my like attraction and my understanding of like what beauty standards were, um, all of that, unfortunately, became heavily influenced by whiteness and by this mm -hmm. dominant white narrative. And I, I feel for sure that that I, I feel like that would have been different, you know, mm -hmm. if if I had remained where I, I had begun, you know, mm -hmm. if, if I had remained there, 
I wouldn't have been exposed to all of these other things because I remember like being in school and um, I wasn't, I wasn't desired, you know, mm -hmm. I wasn't the, uh, and any, and I remember any, any black boy, I liked boys, any black boy that I liked, they didn't, they didn't like me. They didn't want me. They wanted all the white girls. And that was real confusing to me. So I didn't have a lot of boyfriends. I didn't have early relationships and I tended toward the tomboy. And so that's without having the language, it wasn't until later years that really, you know, I am non-binary. That's not language that I had when I was younger. I was tomboy, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that was also a comfortable identity to me too, because I just was like, I'm not fitting into this girly, feminine, pretty makeup, you know, and my mom and my sister very much were those things. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I was like the son that my dad never had kind of thing. So I think all of those things you know, as I, again, all part of what I've just spent and continue to spend a lot of good time just reflecting on. These are experiences that still resonate today with young people, you know, trying to understand and explore their identity and their place in their world. Mm -hmm. And a difference that can exist is, do they have a person or people that they can talk to or that can affirm for them that doesn't make them feel that there's something wrong or bad or abnormal about their exploration of who they are. That's something that I seek and have been able to do differently with my young people and mm -hmm. thus like helping other adults see the value in creating authentic connections and uh, tapping into even just that part of our young identities, right? Yeah. Because sometimes we have to like become adults and then we have to sever that understanding. And then, you know, if we have kids, then it's like, oh, you know, these stereotypes of what teens are, or these stereotypes, are, it's like, we were, we were that. Yeah, <laughs> we were like, them. People forget. Like, yeah, you like, you know, so it's like, the more we can connect with that, the, the more relatable we can be, instead of what many of us grew up with, which was this inequitable power dynamic between an adult and a child. I just don't think that that has served us. And I think especially within black and brown, you know, communities, I think that that often patriarchal and just like inequity exists of power. And, and I don't think that that serves creating youth who can feel really confident and mm -hmm. really affirmed in this world. And they especially need to be with these identities, you know, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still some things I want to unpack with what you said before, but I appreciate you saying that because that actually gets into the next question I have, you know, recognizing that we're not perfect. Black folks are divine, but we're not perfect. So where do you think, particularly your expertise with, with understanding adolescents and young folks' sexuality and the parent-child relationship, what is one thing that you feel like Black folks get wrong in this area, or there's a chance for us to grow some in this area of sex ed in, in young people? There are several things that come to mind. And, and <laughs> one of the things relates to what we just kind of were touching on, and it's that, again, you know, A, we were, we were young once. Like, there's sometimes this, like, I, I believe falsehood that like, oh, I turned out okay. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and there were like some things that were like real trauma that happened to us or that were like part of our 
culture in terms of like thinking that this is how you raise kids, right? Mm -hmm. But really, I believe like come from historical trauma. Yeah. And so I think that something that we potentially get to do differently is having the chance to nurture our trauma. Yeah. yeah I hesitate yeah. to say heal simply because I think that there's sometimes there's like this thought that, oh, you can just like heal and it gets better and you never, but I think it's a lifelong journey and there are always like potential triggers that can come up. And certainly when you're parenting, like parenting is triggering <laughs> and you, and that's the stuff they don't tell you, like they don't talk about that, you know, often. And so you, you think that before you became a parent, like, and certainly if you had an adult identity before you became a parent, which I didn't necessarily, but you know, some people who do like wait and they think, well, I'm going to to become a parent because I'm gonna be like all I'm gonna have all the tools and mm. all the resources and everything and it's gonna be better it's like the, <laughs> the same all the time you know it's it's always like what the fuck am I doing <laughs> you know and so uh getting to that just realization that just existing in this world unfortunately comes with trauma and the more trauma aware the more aware we are that we have experienced those things and then what is it that we seek to do differently yeah. or carry forward, you know, on both ends with our, with our young people and seeing it as an opportunity. It's very hard to do that though, if, and when you're just trying to survive, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think certainly where like community can come in and parenting is definitely not something I, I believe, not something that think, how do I want to say this doing it alone, you know, mm -hmm it's hard. And so to some degree, having some supports in this world as our current day society is designed, yeah, there's got to be some, you know, someone else other than just you as a parent that is, and there, and there typically is, you know, yeah. whether it's school communities or whether it's, you know, religious or church communities, whether it's family, whatever. But, you know, essentially, I think that we have to recognize and acknowledge trauma that we have experienced and identify for ourselves, you know, something, sorry, something else that's coming to mind that just recently happened that is putting some healing onto me. So I wrote a book. My parents, you know, were very proud of the fact that I wrote a book and what I'm doing and everything. And my mom said to me recently in response to having looked at my book, mm -hmm. she said, I didn't know all this stuff. Mm -hmm. When I was raising you, I wish I had known, you mm -hmm. know, and I have said it before because I thought it like I hypothesized that I think that if many of our parents had the information, they would have done differently, would have made Absolutely. the choice to do differently. Mm -hmm. I wanted to believe that, you know, but to hear it then like organically just come out of my mom's mouth, yeah. you know, damn, uh, <laughs> I wish yeah, I yeah. had known. And even the other day, uh, I, I don't have it on right now, but I had like my clitoris necklace on. Mm -hmm. I like to wear vulvas and clits around my neck. Um, <laughs> and so I was wearing my clitoris necklace. And I was just at my parents' house, you know, helping her with, you know, figure out PDF documents and stuff. And then uh, she just turns and looks and she's like, what's that on your, on your necklace? I'm, that's, that's cute. She, is that a wishbone? You know, she said, <laughs> and I was like, no. Uh, and then I was like, you know, it's a clitoris. And she was like, 
oh, <laughs> she was like, oh, okay. Oh, wow. And yeah. it was another, you know, moment of just, you know, just being like, wow. You know, and then she's saying, you know, my mom didn't talk to me about, you know, when I got my first period, I had to go to, you know, to your aunt and yeah. we, you know, talked about it. I didn't, I just didn't have that. And then she couldn't wait to test my dad, who was just in another part of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, so then later on, she was like, my dad's name is Manny. She was like, Manny, Manny, what's that? What's that on Melissa's neck? <laughs> she was like, you think it's a wishbone, don't you? <laughs> and he's looking, I had to come close to him. He's all trying to look and figure it out. And then of course I say to him, you know, it's the clearest. And he's like, oh, 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 okay, oh. okay. <laughs> So, you know, like where it's, and I, I, I'm sure that, you know, I think all of us as like sexuality educators and professionals have our own like fun stories, depending on like how we grew up of just like what our work, like how the people closest to us react to like the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely, there's healing that I'm experiencing present day associated with doing the work that I get to do and connecting with my own parents now as we're all like adults in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been affirming and helpful for me to hear from them that they just wish that they had this knowledge. They wish that they had these tools. Yeah. So I know that that is so awesome. No, (laughs) I love that because like, I, I absolutely relate to what you said about getting family involved because I agree with that being able to be a healing aspect. I used to tell the story when I was uh, in my doctoral program, I used to tell the story that I'm still waiting on my mom for the sex talk, Aww. right? Because <laughs> I was like, who's talking about sex? Mind you, I was well in my thirties when I started my program. So I was like, who's talking about sex at my house? <laughs> and um, since then though, you're right. Like being able to have these conversations and being able to be like, mom, what did you know about this? And da, 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 da. <laughs> that it can be really cathartic to, to be able to hear and, and, and be validated in knowing that, yeah, we did miss something, but we can always get it back and it's okay to go back and get it and so um I really appreciate you raising that point and I think it directly connects into the work that you do with families which I'm a firm believer is a big part of how we move forward in healing our communities can you talk a little bit more about the specific work you do with sex positive families and we'll use that to get into the book Yeah. So Sex Positive Families has been around since June of 2017. Mm -hmm. And I knew initially that, you know, I wanted to do workshops and, you know, educational spaces and facilitate educational spaces. But after having just, after having worked in classrooms, creating these containers, but seeing that there's a gap in terms of parent involvement or parents' confidence, um, I knew I needed to reach parents Mm -hmm. and not just create another like sex ed curriculum for young people. You know, I needed to make sure that parents were involved and I knew that parents are scrolling. They're online. It's hard to get parents to come together to some like workshop space. You know, people ain't got time for all that all the time, but they're online and they're scrolling and they're on Facebook and Instagram and all of that. And so I hadn't even been on social media for five years before I was just a decision I had made in my life. And, but I knew that I needed to use those mediums as ways of reaching people. Mm -hmm. And it has been a beautiful, a beautiful journey for the last three and a half years, building online communities where parents, caring adults, youth and family serving professionals can come together and talk about these very taboo and stigmatized topics and also receive 
information and education. And then for me as an educator, using those spaces has helped to test you know, my, my creativity. Like how can you take these concepts or these themes and pick them apart, unpack them, find the nuances mm. that can help people have these like aha moments yeah. or help people get more comfortable with just saying some words, you know, it could be as simple as like getting people to feel desensitized around like words like vulva or penis, you know, so that then they can feel more comfortable making these um, not bad words in their own home when they're trying to teach, talk to, or mentor their young people. Yeah. So I've had a lot of fun getting to experiment with the different ways of educating and using social media as a tool for that. So that's one, that's been one arm of the work. And, you know, we're knocking on the door of 200,000 followers on yes. Instagram. And so that is super affirming because yeah, yeah, yeah. a very um, direct thing like sex positive families right that can be misconstrued and like people can yeah people can take that and run and they really haven't yeah That's well let been, me can mm -hmm. i let me ask yeah. you a question about that because one of the things that i'm sure you're familiar with that i feel like i hear a lot among traditional sex educators is this idea that oh you can't teach the young people the parents are so sex negative the parents mm -hmm. are the biggest hurdle the parents the parents the parents and yet here you are with this huge following of folks who are like hey you know, how, how do you do this work? What are some of the things that parents who come to your workshops or have your experience, what are some of the things that they've said about what it's like to have a sex positive family's experience? It's all come back to, you know, number one, them seeing this as the opportunity to be the adult that they wish that they'd had. Like there's such confidence and power that, that they get to feel mm -hmm. with getting to create an experience. And also there's a lot of education that they're getting. And so what I do now and have just have so enjoyed in this year of 2020 amid the pandemic is being able to do virtual puberty workshops. Yeah. And I do the puberty workshops. So they're for young people ages eight to 12 and they're trusted adult or adults. So literally I'm teaching whole families. You yes. know, I've had breastfeeding babies all the way up to grandparents sitting in on whole puberty workshop and mine are gender inclusive in the sense that it's not like this is boy puberty and this is girl puberty. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the range of identities on a spectrum and bodies on a spectrum mm -hmm. and how they're all amazing. So I'm teaching the full spectrum of humans. And that also includes racial and um, cultural variants and identities because the internet allows people from all over the world to get to tune in. And the only barrier has been like time zone, <laughs> but I have done workshops at like three in the morning, my time so that people in the other parts of the world, yeah. you know, have been able to tune in. And so the parents are both, they're learning, they're seeing the value of getting to learn alongside their young people. They're being liberated from this thought that they have to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. They get the chance to be like, wow, that's really cool. I want to learn more. And how can we learn more collectively as a family together and make it safe to yeah. do that? Which I mm -hmm. think sets a much more healthy and realistic example for the young people as they transition to adulthood and potentially to parenthood, them not carrying this unrealistic like expectation that they've, they're superheroes and that they have to like know everything because then that ultimately feeds shame when you realize you don't know everything and, mm -hmm. and you don't know how to say, I don't know, let's look it up. Let's ask for help. Let's find the information. 
So it's like a lot of like tools that I'm getting a chance to help share and model and facilitate for families. And it's, it really is just all goes back to relationship and connection. Yeah. And I feel like that's huge too. I know I just asked you to explain non-binary. We're going to get to it, but that I feel like that's also huge for black families in particular, because I think there's also the pressure that many folks feel to like, to be on and to give this perception of black parenthood. Like I think what you said about needing to know all the answers, that's absolutely something I feel like black folks have had this pressure to feel of like, I need to be perfect. I cannot have any mistakes. Um, And a lot of that is because our mistakes have been challenges to us over our history in the United States at least. But it sounds like with a space like yours, it's like you can take some of that armor down. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you don't have to be perfect in this space. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to be big B black in this space, just coming here to be a parent and you're learning and you're falling on your face, just like everybody else. And you, you know, but you're learning and you're getting the information in community, which, you know, for folks who know me, that is what I'm convinced is a major tenet of any type of truly African-centered healing, trauma-informed pedagogy that's going to work for addressing all of these issues. So I'm, I, it sounds super exciting. It's love when they get to see each other. That's the cool thing about like the whole zoom, you know, teaching and stuff is when these families, and it's, it's a two hour experience, which can sound like a long time, but it goes by so fast because we're just having fun. We're using different teaching, you know, techniques and we're using games and interactive elements. Um, But just in that two hour space, literal strangers from around the world, by the end of it, they're just yeah. like, thank you. And they're, they're just waving. They're like, bye everyone. And, and, and it's just, it's so beautiful. And, yeah. um, and so I'm working on a part two of it and I'm working on a teen version of it for teen and the parents. And so getting to, you know, again, create that space where families can connect, where parents can learn and grow in their skills and not feel intimidated um, or, you know, cause I also do parent only workshops mm-hmm. and the parent only workshops. Yes, that's great. And I love having those spaces. And also it, it can still leave that gap because, yeah. okay, parents got all this information and now they have to do something like, with it. Do the parent one first to get comfortable <laughs> with being imperfect and then bring your kid in and do this. The, the family we can one do second. it. Yeah, we can do it. But yeah, to your, to your question in terms of like identity, and specifically yes. with non-binary identity. So for me, so here's here's a thing about like definitions and identity, and this is my my strong opinion, is that yes, there are definitions for all of these identities, and also you must really ask the person. Mm-hmm. Um, people that hold whatever the identities are, ask them what that means to them. Um, and in my book, I have a definition section, but I have a paragraph that's at the beginning that explains that because mm-hmm. that's the problem that I think is like, what's a boy? What's a girl? That's like our world has been, our certainly American society has been very binary, meaning then there are two options when it comes to identity and gender specifically mm-hmm. that there's boy and that there's girl, that there's man and there's woman. There's nothing else. And I don't even, I don't like to say in between. Sometimes people, I think accidentally say like, there's no in between. It's not even that it's like, it's all over, right? It's, it's a, it's a universe of, of identities and even ones that we may not even know, because again, it's up to individuals. There are way many more individuals than we may have like defined identities for. Mm -hmm. For me, my non-binary identity means to me, Um, that I don't ascribe for myself to society's, the norms and the standards and the stereotypes associated with boy, girl, man, woman, masculinity, femininity. I don't. 
Um, I even have just like, I have an aversion, like I have an aversion to this idea that certain things are feminine or certain things are masculine and there's like nothing, you know, there's nothing else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, being non-binary means that I get to reclaim how I show up in the world in terms of my, my gender and that it does not follow any rules or expectations or stereotypes associated with man, woman, girl, boy. And so that's what, for me, being non-binary is. It is it is a reclamation of just who I am and how I show up in the world. And it is not limited by or defined by others want to go to go to the Walmart or the Target and you have the man, woman section, the boy, girl section of clothing or whatever. Like, I don't pay attention to that. Like, I simply, if I see something that I like and I want to wear it and it's comfortable and it feels good to me, it's not in my eyes, something that is for men or for women. I think that's completely like a, a, a clever setup, you know, by capitalism. And I just, I choose not to participate. Look, that's a whole other discussion. But that was a beautiful, beautiful way to explain that. And I appreciate you acknowledging or pointing out that there's um, a glossary in your book, because I think that's a perfect segue into talking about it. So this book, Sex Positive, Talks to Have with Kids, is a book that just came out, like with all the amazing, well, with all the horrible things that came out in 2020, we can at least say a few great things came out of it, including your book. So (laughs) Tell, tell the people about this book. It is, first off, I think it's super beautiful. The mm-hmm. colors are amazing. The illustrations are amazing. There's lots of spaces in here for reflection and for folks to just really dig in. So tell the folks about how you came to this book and what they can expect to see by reading it. Um, thank you. And uh, yeah, it's been quite a year. <laughs> quite a year. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't set out, there was no goal to be an author or goal to write a book. That is not what started this. Um, In this journey of sex positive families, I've done a lot of creative things, again, all with the goal of just acknowledging and recognizing that there are many different ways that people learn new information. And so as an educator, you know, we're off, we're tasked with, you know, trying to meet people where they're at in terms of, you know, how they learn and where, what knowledge they're coming to the table with, what goals they have for their learning. And so the book was a product of actually just trying to update a digital guide. I had an existing digital guide. It was called Guide to Raising Sexually Healthy Children. It was a PDF guide that people could get, you know, from my website. And it covered a bunch of like good, like general age by age tips and strategies and facts and resources and stuff associated with sexual health and childhood. As I sat down to do that, I was facing some resistance as I started to just try to update that with in correlation with the update of my website. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to pause on this and talk with some people in my world that, you know, I trust. So my partner, also a friend, Brittany Brodus. Um, yes. Hey, Brittany. Smith, yes. Of the intimacy firm. And, and she and I often like collaborate and just like, cause we're, you know, building businesses and things. And she was someone that I went to and I was like, you know, I'm I'm having this like roadblock and I, and it's trying to tell me something and I don't know where I should go with this guide. It was just, again, just a digital guide is all I was trying to do. And she, within five minutes helped Mm -hmm. me to identify, because I also had this completely free conversation starters guide. 
people could get when they signed up for my email list. And it covered just five core like domain, you know, topics and then mm -hmm. just the age categories. And they were just like one conversation starter per each category. And that was very popular. She actually had asked permission in the past to integrated into some of the work that she does right. um, with Philadelphia schools. And she was like, that's an amazing guide. Have you thought about like, what about expanding that? You know? And I was like, oh my gosh. Yes. Light bulb. But yeah. And so thanks to again, community knowing that mm, there's a reason why something's just not jiving instead of like trying to force the square peg round hole. Yeah, thing. Yeah. I saw it as a sign. And then as soon as I pivoted to that within two weeks, I had my book written. Like, wow. And and it was long. So then it became a book because as I gave it to an editor, they were like, mm, yeah, no, you can't just like give this as like a PDF guide. Like right. this is a book. People this are going to book. want this. Yeah. People are going to want to hold this and open it and flip and write notes and all of that. And I was like, okay, I guess I will author a book. And so then more community. I talked with Dr. Lex Brown James, you know, yes. someone who's authored several books and just has gone through that experience of self-publishing. So yeah, so it's, it's a book. And uh, because of the community of sex positive families and the, the size of it and the engagement and the, the trust that people have had with both me and thus the brand, I have not had to do like some giant marketing campaign or any of that stuff. Like it truly is just like, here's the latest resource that's coming from sex positive families. So it has been amazingly beautiful. Yeah. The reception that this book has um, had and the ways in which it is making its way around the world, literally, and people are utilizing it as a resource. And so in the book, I go over 12 different topic areas. I integrate them in terms of specific conversation starters and different activities and reflective prompts that parents caring adults can use related to each of the topics. So from masturbation, like how to talk with young people about these topics, positive understanding of these different topics, um, how to unpack any, if, if it exists, any discomfort or resistance that you might have around these things. The book really is just helping adults calibrate their understanding to sexual health in the lifespan and certainly in childhood, because that's the thing that our culture has unfortunately tried to do is disconnect us mm -hmm. from the reality that we are sexual beings and that sexuality is a lifespan element of who we are as humans. And that it's not just about sex. It's not just about erotic elements. In the book, it talks about consent and specific prompts. And it also helps for people to understand that these conversations are not something that just you wait until hormones and puberty are happening or there are teenagers in high school. There are specific and actionable and amazing conversations and strategies that you can use at birth and in toddlerhood with young people. And so what has become illuminated through both the work of sex positive families and just through this book, this particular medium is, um, is again, just helping adults understand that this is a lifespan and there are opportunities that this is not something that you have to dread, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not just one conversation. It's many different talks and teachable moments. And these are opportunities to connect yeah. to ultimately create informed, empowered, and sexually healthy young people, which helps to disrupt the cycles of trauma yeah. and sexual abuse and misinformation and um, just creates a 
powerful next generation. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I look at this book and I'm like, these sometimes I also think some of these are like sex positive conversations you can have with yourself. Right? Okay. <laughs> Particularly you- what you said about, you know, not knowing, like for the folks who didn't know, like I, I've mentioned being a part of Facebook groups where, you know, there's grown people who say I was X number of years. I was today years old when <laughs> yeah. I knew that this was this, or I, yeah. when I realized this was this, and I'm just like, oh my God, <laughs> like, can we help you? That's what's going on out here. But it's real. It's real. And so having a resource like this is phenomenal. Like I said, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Like it kind of makes me want to have kids and teach them, but not really because kids are expensive. Yeah. You can borrow some. I can send you some (laughs) for for a limited time and you you just just tell me what you think after that. My teaching skills. Yes. It's been a while since I I got some different options. We got seven, (laughs) seven year old, 11 year old. How about a 21? Okay. (laughs) love that I should I should come in and, and hang out with them and, and be the cool auntie and buy them oh things. yeah like, oh we didn't learn oh, anything love it. there you go they all have they all have iPhones now the upgraded iPhone I'm telling you and and, and so that, that I want to say you made me think like that's the other thing is just like I the cool cool conversations mm-hmm. that that I'm having with my young people yeah. as a result of opening up taking the taboo and the shame away out of just being human is just allowing them to speak so confidently at such an early age. And like, why are so many of us just finding our voices in our freaking thirties and (laughs) forties, you know, talk about if you, if you would, for me, what are your thoughts about the folks who are like, well, you know, if you talk to them, that's going to make them want to do it. That's just going to make them want to do it more. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, I could do what so many of us do as educators. We could talk about the research that completely consistently tells us that that is not true. Mm -hmm. And that when we talk with young people and we create that open dialogue on these topics, that they're more likely to delay their first time, you know, sexual experiences, that they're more likely to be thoughtful about the number of sex partners that they may have and to use contraceptive and barrier methods. Um, So we could do that. (laughs) But I like to do, you know, also just the piece of like, with anything, right? As people, when we have information, we can make informed choices. That's it. And so having raised at this point, a person into adulthood, I saw it with my own eyes and lived it, you know, and now live it with these younger ones that are coming up that I'm raising. Yeah. Um, that it's like, oh, is that, oh, that's what sex is? Or, right. oh, okay, that's what a condom is? Oh, okay. You know what's funny to me about that? <laughs> a lot of folks, I'm like, but you didn't know nothing. Nobody talked to you and you still was out here wilding. So I don't understand. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's that goes back to that. That's what I was trying to get at earlier is just like, we need to stop thinking that, well, I came out okay. And so, no, right. no, there's some things <laughs> here. We need to put some intention and um, be honest. <laughs> be right. honest with ourselves. Be honest. Let's stop acting. Be honest. Like, yeah. yes. Those, and that's those the thing. Are real fun conversations you when you start having with, with your parents and they start being honest about what they did. Ooh, the tea. <laughs> I'm telling you. And 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 again, like I'm just now, I'm 40, and I'm just now starting to have a relationship with my parents that is tentatively like we're opening up and becoming more honest and stuff. All I'm choosing to do differently is, is recognize the humanity in my children 
and not see them as less than or not deserving of that kind of honest relationship. That's and a word. Yes. That's a word. And so, you know, they, they're not trying to hide, like they, they don't have any incentive to lie or sneak around or hide or whatever, because, and this is part of like the secret sauce. I'm kind of detached from their outcomes. And when I say that, it's like, look, they are whole and separate human beings. What they mm -hmm. choose to do in life and in this world is not for me to control. Mm -hmm. I am just here to be a mentor. Mm -hmm. I am here to be a consistent support and available to them. I am my own separate human. And that's another thing that we as adults can do differently than what many of our parents did is I'm like, look, I need to rest. I want to go do xyz for my spirit and my soul mm -hmm. and instead of hiding that from them or instead of like martyring myself and saying i never need anything fun or i'm just gonna work away you know at mm -hmm. the kitchen no it's like no i don't want to clean the kitchen so that's like the piece that for me i'm doing differently and i know that that's what makes my work um really stick for people too over is because i'm living it like you know it's not like stuff i read and thought it'd be fun to make a business about like no like i'm, I'm literally yeah. in the trenches with you as well yeah. as a parent and this is wisdom this is lived experience that i get to confidently teach educate and create space around and also recognizing that each and every person has our subject matter experts of their own life. Mm -hmm. And so when we're teaching, how do we create space for people to get to reflect on what they bring onto the table and not to discount their own knowing? Yeah. I love that. How to help them cultivate their own knowing, yes. right? Like that, that to me is the real work of sex ed to yeah. be able to help young people and help all folks, but especially young folks cultivate their own sense of knowing and, and going back to what you said earlier, build their intuition in that regard. Cause that's yeah. so important. And that's like, what are your goals? What are your goals? Right. Not what are what your real you goals? Think, yeah. Not what you've been told that you should care about or do or be excited about. Like what, what, what lights you up? What are you excited about? And right. a lot of times we don't even need to have to ask we just share space observe quiet ourselves and just join in and be present with yeah and that's a thing that we're unfortunately if we're just in the habit of just leading young people or telling or directing or controlling young people mm -hmm. then yes they they learn to inhibit themselves to conform to just have to do go along to get along mm -hmm. and they lose themselves and yes that ultimately prepares them for what this world tries to do at the adult level too to all of us and I'm, again, just making a choice and I'm challenging other parents and caring adults of our, of this generation of parents. Like, I think if we do something different here, we could get a different result. We can get I a different think, result. Yeah. I think that if we focus on continued liberation of ourselves and we share that experience with our young people openly, vulnerably, you know, continually, I think yeah, <laughs> that I maybe it. we could all be more liberated and more connected and thus more confident, more secure and able to make informed choices along mm -hmm. our path that are in line with our goals that we know are valid and important. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I'm almost done with my questions, but I do want to ask you, I, I asked, usually ask a question early in the interview and I forgot it. So I'm going to bring it in now. I want you to share with folks what you feel like your sex ed superpower is. And related to that, I want you to share what you feel like your place as a Black sexuality educator is in this particular moment in time in history. Mm, that's good. 
So superpower, I would say, is creating, facilitating, shame-free, brave spaces. There are a lot of things that can go into that, you know, that, that can go into making that possible. But I think that that is at the heart of what I do. And, and I use different mediums to do it. I use particular language. I use particular like presence, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if it is a thing where I'm present, you know, for, and that is something I consistently get complimented on that I consistently get reflected back, you know, is just how safe people can feel within the work that I do, however I'm doing it, how affirmed, how comfortable they can feel being able to consider and be brave and authentic. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the other thing is I'm coming into continually my own like reckoning and understanding of what all of my identities have meant, you know, to me. And so as I continue that journey and that path, I am showing up unapologetically and without asking permission, (laughs) you know, because I know that it's important that we're not quiet about our liberation. And certainly if we feel called to, to lead or to educate or be in these certain positions, you know, I think it's important that we can show up and model vulnerability and, and, and honesty and authenticity in, in who we are and how all of these things intersect. So when I'm teaching, for example, and I'm teaching, you know, young people or, you know, adults, I'm considering how am I showing up in ways that are authentic and that are brave and that are bold so that it can continue to give permission for other people to do the same because there's too much of our world and our society that is intentionally, you know, anti-Black, that's intentionally saying, you don't have a place here. You, why are you talking? You don't have a voice or, you know, your, your thoughts, your opinion doesn't matter, or it will only matter if you achieve blah, 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 all these like Mm -hmm. ridiculous standards or whatever. And the whole imposter syndrome BS, like, No, I'm making a choice to not believe the lies. Mm -hmm. And then when I do that, and I do that boldly, loudly, you know, and I do that in my home, like it just, it helps, you know, to influence that. And yeah, staying in connection and in community and in like, I am excited anytime anyone of my siblings out here that are doing, you know, this work with black and brown identities, anytime we are out here winning, anytime we are out here, you know, doing the liberating work, like it's, how can we, how can we be here with and for each other yeah. and um, make sure that it, it, it influences and inspires more. Cause there are so many people that want to do this work and get into this field and it become it's hard to do this when you don't feel like you see yourself, you know, yeah. it feels intimidating. And so much of this work has been very whitewashed and very rooted in, you know, white people's leadership and their ideals and, and what they think black people need or, or, you know, everybody needs. Mm-hmm. And 
I feel like what I, what I love so much and what I've just loved even in these last couple years is just seeing so much of us in all these creative, amazing ways say no enough and do the work and create and the work that's aligned. That's the thing. Not the work that these systems are saying we should do or how it has to look or that you have to achieve X, Y, Z first before anyone will listen to you. We continue to prove that wrong. Mm -hmm. And I keep just getting even more excited about what that will keep looking like. Seeing us win and seeing that the, the representation, it's not even just about having representation. It's like, no, it's like taking up the space that this world needs us to take up in order yeah. to transform into the type of world that we should have already been living in. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I that think our young people deserve. Yeah. 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 And I think what you're saying is making me think of something else. Um, it is one other quick question I want to ask you for the folks who aren't educators, right? Just for the regular degular folks. Sometimes I think it just I feel like it matters to be able to show that we're out here because I think we are, yes. you're right. I feel like the field is so whitewashed that even folks who did experience with sex ed, they usually experienced a white sex educator or someone who wasn't skilled or someone who, you know, came through one of these traditional systems. And even just knowing that there are black professionals out here who, you know, wrestle with these concepts, they come up with theories, they, you know, they're doing the work. That to me is so important and why I created this, this platform in the first place to really be like, we out you. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> so and not going anywhere. Right. And, and we're not, not going, going anywhere. anywhere. We are rooted. We are yep. where we're supposed to be. And so my question is for the regular regular black person who maybe has kids or maybe has, you know, cousins or auntie, you know, their auntie or uncle or whoever. And they're like, yo, I hear you, Melissa. Maybe I can get them to come to one of your workshops. But in the meantime, what do I say? How do I approach this? How do I get my family to recognize this is important? What are just maybe some baseline tips that you would give them? Yeah. Um, so I would say that um, it always starts with us. So I have to say that because that's the hardest part. That's really what is often at the root of the resistance and the root of the avoidance is because there are things that often we are struggling with, whether it's trauma of different forms that we experience, whether it's like triggering, because even just literally talking about these topics triggers us, it is okay. Mm -hmm. And you're not bad, weird, or wrong if this is feeling uncomfortable to you. And it is not your fault, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of shame that we can absorb around that. And again, from that place of thinking, well, if, especially if we're adults that are mentoring youth or raising youth, we think, well, we, we should have to just know the answers to all these things. And if we don't, there's something wrong with us. Um, so I think it's important to, to be able to accept the acknowledgement that things were things have been set up in this way and 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 stacked against up to this point for so many of us that was not our doing there was that no matter what your own sexual history or decisions have been or anything like that you know because there've been so many like the hypersexualization or you know the you know ho and all these these things that have that carry into people's adulthood you know mm -hmm. and that they, they absorb as part of their identity and as their wrong that they did, created, thus deserve negative things. 
So I just want to acknowledge, I think it's important to acknowledge that these are real, very real things that can hold people back from simply just being able to talk confidently and comfortably with other people, whether it's another family member, whether it's a peer, whether it's a partner, whether it's a child Mm -hmm. in their life. And so coming to that place of recognizing that you are not wrong or bad um, for feeling any level of discomfort or uncertainty around this. Mm -hmm. And then it's taking a look at what do you envision? What do you see? What do you want when it comes to your own sexual health, your own connection to your body, your own connection to your identity? How do you want to show up in the world? Um, And then what does that look like for the young person in your world? Mm -hmm. Just what do you envision? What does sexual health, what does it mean to be sexually healthy? What kind of sex life if any, do you envision that you would want your young person to have? What does it mean to have a good sex life? Yeah. Um, And also say it's important if you're saying no, no sex life. Right. And so if you're saying no, where's that coming from? Right. Why? Is that realistic? Typically, and I've done this exercise in many, many, many different, you know, workshops, virtual, in-person, whatever with adults. Mm -hmm. And even the most like, put off or resistant. Often it's just, there's just not spaces that are often like made or time or prioritized where people get a chance to think about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so seeing that it's important to think about these things, it's important yeah. to put that intention the same way you're thinking about your child's academics probably. And you're thinking like, Oh, I want this kind of future. What does it mean to be uh, successful? You know, yeah. all of that. Okay. Let's substitute successful from a career, you know, or academic standpoint, and let's substitute sexually healthy what does it mean to be sexually healthy and why might that be important if you're saying you don't think it is why not like okay let's let's give space for that Mm -hmm. why is that not important often what will present itself is just fear is a lot of fear based or things that connect to people's own trauma and so that's why if you want to be effective in this and you don't want it to just be this like surface level one shot thing you know that that same effort that you are putting into facilitating or hoping for success, you know, in these other areas of your young person's life, there's great value in helping to foster and facilitate support guide lead in this other realm in terms of their connection to their body and their identities and their, you know, their sexual selves. Absolutely. So, yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. We could talk all day, but I know only have a certain amount of your time. So I'm going to go to my rapid fire questions. Okay. You are ready. <laughs> I've got five of them. They're just sentence stems. So just, you know, fill in whatever comes up for you. Okay. So first one, sexiness is. Unique. Mm-hmm. The sexiest thing about blackness and or black people is. Mm. Uh, it's courage, it's strength, it's authenticity, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it, love it. My go-to for feeling sexy is? Just being myself. Mm-hmm. That's it. Love it. Nothing, nothing that can be bought. Nothing, it's, it's just being myself, being true. Yeah. Sexual freedom for Black folk is achieved when when people connect with their truth, with who they are, not who they're told to be, but who they are. 
And when I'm done being on this podcast, I will. Spend some time with my family. (laughs) I will spend some time with my family and be so excited for when this is released and getting to to share it with the world and, and just cheerlead because I... I love everything that you that you do and that you put into the world. And I have had the great privilege of being able to be in space, watching other people being inspired by your words and your wisdom and your voice. And that's really super cool. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you so much for being here, Melissa. I am so happy that this all aligned in the ways that it did. I wish you all the best. I will have all of Melissa's details, contact information in the show notes for this episode. So please reach out. You can follow on um, Instagram at Sex Positive Families. Any other specific Sex Positive underscore families Ah, on Instagram and only as long as Instagram right delete us if instagram will be you know will act right instagram but yes sex positive underscore families but but even if you can't find uh melissa on instagram you can go to the website sexpositivefamilies.com we didn't even get to get into all the amazing resources on that website but please go you will not be disappointed it's a hub it's a hub for real for real and it's absolutely worth it thank you again so much for being here melissa and thank you all for listening You've been listening to TSOB with Dr. G, produced by Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert of Tembi and I. To keep up with all things TSOB, follow us on social media at TSOB The Podcast, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For past episodes of the show, visit TSOBpodcast.com or subscribe to the show either on YouTube or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Now, Don't forget that you've got homework for this episode. To find the downloadable worksheet for this or any other episode of the show, head on over again to tsobpodcast.com where you'll find it and any other important information from the show notes. And finally, do you have any questions or thoughts to share? Sound off by email at mailbox at tsobpodcast.com. Again, this was TSOB, the sex ed of black folk. Thank you for listening. Talk again soon.